Welcome once again to the Entrepreneurial Coder Podcast. This is the show where I talk to programmers who are in business of one form or another, and I get a sense of how they got to where they are and how they do the things they do. So if you've got some interest in getting into business yourself, or maybe if you're already in business and you want some more tips and tricks, then hopefully this show is of value to you. This is episode 19 with Kent C. Dodds. One quick announcement before we get started today. I've just embarked on a new project with my friend and collaborator Otto Kukic to build a platform to make it easier for event speakers to find and apply to tech events. We're calling it speak.dev and you can find information about it at the web address speak.dev. So what's the deal with this project? Well, one thing that I love doing in the tech industry is to speak at different events. So whether that's conferences or meetups, I love to travel, get on stage, and ultimately meet and connect with new people in the industry. But finding events to apply to hasn't always been the easiest. I speak at about a dozen events per year, and I often find myself scouring about five or six different resources to get info on events. Then I need to make sure I apply to them before the deadline, I need to make sure that I don't double book myself, and this has always been kind of a pain and is something about the process that I haven't enjoyed a whole lot. It turns out that Otto has had the same pain when it comes to applying to conferences and meetups as well. Otto is a seasoned event speaker, and he actually does that for his job. He works in developer relations. So he's going to conferences and meetups all the time, and he has to go through the exact same stuff, except for him, it is a lot worse because he's doing a lot more of it. He and I have talked to a lot of people in the industry who have the same kind of pain, and so that's why we decided to do something about it. And that's why we are building speak.dev. The ultimate goal is to help event speakers find and manage their events better and just generally make it easier and more enjoyable for them to do more speaking. Now the cool part about this project is that we're doing pretty much everything out in the open. So that means we're live streaming almost everything we do from planning and organizing to actually writing the code and everything in between. So if you'd like to follow along with us and you'd like to get notified about when we go live, head over to speak.dev and sign up for our mailing list. You can follow us on Twitter. Our handle there is speak.dev, so all spelled out, D-O-T, dev. And we've also got the same handle on Twitch, which is where we'll be live streaming. We'd love it if you followed along with us, and we hope to see you there. My guest today is Kent C. Dodds. Kent is a world-renowned speaker, teacher, and trainer, and he's actively involved in the open source community as a maintainer and contributor of hundreds of popular NPM packages. Kent is the creator of testingjavascript.com, and he's an instructor on egghead.io and front-end masters. He's also a Google developer expert. Kent is happily married and the father of four kids. He likes his family, code, JavaScript, and React. Kent, welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks so much for having me, Ryan. It's great to have you here. We go back a little ways, back to the Angular JS days, um, yeah. back to a package that you you created, or maybe not created, but took over Angular formally, mm. if that's correct. Yeah. Uh, and so I, I got to know you a little bit through your work there. I'm wondering if you could maybe take us to the point at which you started your journey as a developer. When did that kick off for you? Yeah, well, uh, you know, I actually just published my decade in review. Um, it's like this 12,000 word um, behemoth of a pod, uh, blog post. But um, 
yeah, in there you'll find my whole story. Um, I'll so I'll keep it brief here. Um, but I was not really super interested in programming computers. I, I was super interested in computers, but not programming programming them. Uh, when I got to college, uh, I did take two programming classes because I thought um, I wanted to be an electrical engineer, and that didn't really work out super well because I was really bad at math. Um, and I, um, as as good as I was, like I was actually pretty good at, at programming. I did a good job. Um, I got good grades, whatever, but um, I didn't really feel like I enjoyed it. And so like just the thought of working in front of a computer for eight hours a day was not at all interesting to me. Um, and so that, that was kind of like my first introduction. Well, I, I've had an earlier introduction when I was a kid. I had a friend who was, uh, who programmed and stuff. But um, yeah, so anyway, I served a mission for my church for two years. And then when I got back, um, I, you know, hopped around a couple different um, uh, majors and found myself in information systems where I took a programming class and it was like, oh, here we go again with this programming thing. Um, but then at the same time, I had a, an internship that um, they had me doing a bunch of monkey work. And I thought, you know, I could probably write a, a little computer program to do this for me. And I did. And that was when things started to click. I was still not convinced I wanted to be a programmer, but I was like, oh, so programming isn't just about writing compilers and, you know, creating a linked list or whatever. Like it was um, something that could actually be used to solve problems. And so that's when things started to, to click for me. And then eventually I got another job where um, I started, um, I, it was just another like, auto, let's automate how we send reports to uh, people that we, we send reports to. And uh, I found myself spending more time working with that automation um, piece than working with the actual software or the, um, I was a business intelligence engineer, so ETLs and, and, you know, moving data and stuff. Spent way more time writing this program than doing my regular job. And that was when I realized, okay, I think I, I want to be a programmer just um, by accident. <laughs> so that's kind of how that happened. Gotcha. So you say, you said you realized that you, you think you wanted to be a programmer. Was it um, something that you hadn't really maybe decided hard on at the time and you were kind of like, hey, let's see how this goes. I'll continue to do this uh, for a while and, and see if I like it. Or did you kind of make a decision that said, okay, this is going to be my career now? Um, so it wasn't until I got my next job at a company called Domo that's local here in, in Utah. And if you're in the AngularJS community, they're Domo's always been the platinum sponsor of ng-conf in Utah. Um, but uh, yeah, when I got my job at Domo, um, I was hired on to do QA, um, like automated QA. Um, and we were doing Ruby and I, it was just like way over my head. But then I kind of slid into some of the front end JavaScript stuff. And that's when I was like, okay, yeah, this is what I'm going to do. Um, because I, I don't know, JavaScript just like... I was able to uh, to use JavaScript in a way that made programming more enjoyable. Before it was, you know, programming was something that was in the way of me getting my stuff done that I wanted to get done. And after discovering JavaScript and, and starting to play around with it, it became something that was enjoyable in and of itself. Like it's still really awesome to build a product and ship it and, and whatever, but there's something about writing JavaScript that is fun just by itself. So that's kind of when I, 
and, and I was still in school at the time, but that's when I decided, okay, I'm going to be a programmer. Gotcha. Okay. So that that's cool. I, I love the transition, you know, going from uh, working sort of outside of the field, going into some jobs that were that are in the field and now to the point where you are on your own, you're, you're self-employed. And that's where I'd love to, to focus on today is that journey going from working for a company as a software developer to working uh, on your own. And so maybe we could start with, uh, tell us what you do, I guess, as a self-employed software developer. Do you put yourself into any one particular bucket in terms of uh, what you do being self-employed or is it kind of anything and everything as a developer? Yeah, I, I think that if you don't focus on something specific, then you'll do a lot of things not very well. Uh, and so I am very much in the camp of like, choose your niche. And, you know, at the same time, I, I do lots of stuff that don't necessarily contribute to the bottom line just because it's what I enjoy doing. But um yeah, so I focus mostly on um, teaching people how to write software, and that comes in the, lots of different forms. Um, I, I do a lot of free content that is written, uh, my, my blog posts, and I do live streams on YouTube and, and on Twitch sometimes too, but um, mostly on YouTube. And then I uh, uh, do talks and conferences, and um, then I make money from workshops and uh, online remote workshops, self-paced workshops that are like recorded video, um, and that kind of thing. So, yeah, that's kind of been my the the purpose that I've developed for myself is I want to reach as many people as I possibly can uh, to help them transition from wherever they are to. Um, be a more employable software engineer. Um, you know, if that's what they want to do, then I want to be the the place where they can do that. So that's kind of where I'm focusing mostly. That's cool. The uh, your your statement there, your purpose uh, reminds me of uh, that book. Start with why. Have you read that book? Um, yeah, yeah, it's a great book. Highly recommended. Right, and it's it's all about how if we start with a purpose uh, in anything we do, it's it's far more likely that we'll you know see it through, be successful at it, whatever. It, was that a contributor here to your kind of to putting some some uh, I guess measure around what you're hoping to achieve with what you're doing? Yeah, uh, so I've been doing education for as long as I can remember, and in my um, like even when I was in, at at college, I hosted like I self-hosted a couple workshops for my classmates um, and that I got like Firebase to sponsor and you know, pay for pizza and stuff so people would show up um, but uh, that was like kind of the it, it's always just been really enjoyable for me to teach people um, but it was never like an express purpose or, or um, a why for me um, until pretty you know, maybe in the last year or two where I decided you know what the um, I want to, to focus in on teaching and the reason that I want to do that is because I want to reach so many, uh, you know, as many people as I can. Um, and honestly, like, so on my website, on my homepage, it says, um, that like, it, it basically states my goal as being, um, enabling other people to, or, or making the world a better place through quality software. And so the best way that I can make the world a better place through quality software is by helping other people make quality software. Um, you know, I, I can make a bunch of quality software myself and make the world a better place, um, but I uh, can expand the impact of my time by 
just helping other people uh, do that. And, and hopefully they're making quality software based on the things that I'm, I'm learning and, and making the world a better place. I'm sure there are plenty of people who learn from me who don't make the world a better place. <laughs> but, uh, but hopefully we, we do more good than bad. <laughs> yes, I'm sure, I'm sure it definitely nets out to be more good than bad. Yeah. Um, that's really cool. Uh, well, it's certainly been uh, awesome to see your progression, your, um, you know, the, the courses you've been creating over the, the years, putting them out. I, you know, I always see the stuff that you put out on uh, Front End Masters, on places like egghead.io and the stuff that other stuff you published. I'm wondering what your process is, um, if you have one, when it comes to deciding what you want to do, what you, what kind of course you'd like to create, uh, what kind of subject you want to touch on, uh, and ultimately what you want to teach. Do you have uh, kind of a set process or is it, you know, just kind of, does it loosely come to you over the course of time? How does that go for you? So yeah, as far as the process goes, um, honestly, it's not super um, defined. I kind of just decide, you know, I've been really, especially when I was still working full time and doing this on the side, it was, you know, I've been doing this kind of work, you know, I, my day job, and I've learned a lot of things doing that. So I'm going to take the things that I've learned doing that and apply it and, and teach the things that I learned um, through that process. And, and that, like the huge vast majority of my content is based on stuff that I've actually been experiencing in the real world. And I, I think that is probably what most people want um, is stuff that, you know, it's not just, I think this could maybe be a good idea, but it's like, I actually used this and it legit helped me. So you should learn it too, or, uh, or see how it applies uh, in your scenario. Um, there are definitely some things that I've uh, published that are do not fall into that category. Uh, I recently published a course on Egghead about suspense, uh, the React suspense API that is still experimental. I have not shipped anything to production with that, um, and nobody else has either, other than Facebook. Um, and uh, yeah, so that like some of it, it or most of it is like this is something I've been doing at work, and I think it's kind of interesting and and people probably need to know how to how to do this stuff. Some of it is, I think this is really interesting and kind of cool, so I'm gonna teach you about that. Um, but it, it, like whatever I end up, uh, whatever content I end up producing always is tied back to, um, I think that this would be a good thing for people to, to know about. Uh, it's something I believe in and wanna see more of in the developer community. Uh, so that's what motivates most of my, my content. And then the, the process of, turning that idea of what I want to teach into uh, content is um, also not super well-defined, but there are a couple of things that I, I can tell you about, but I'll, I'll stop talking right now. <laughs> <laughs> That's cool. I, I'm curious, do you have any kind of, um, do you think about it in terms of how many people might be interested in a given topic? I, I remember seeing this article recently, I can't remember who published it, but uh, it came across my Twitter feed. And it was it was kind of reviewing the case of what he deemed to be a failed launch, um, and it was how you know there was this topic that he was super interested in uh, creating a course around, and he ended up going through all the the things that we uh, learned that we should do when we create a course. You know, build your list, put out free content, uh, you know, get get the drum up some um, uh, some anticipation about your course, and eventually release it. And it was a flop, and he figures in retrospective that it was because the subject matter was just a little bit too niche a little bit 
there, there were too few people that would be interested in it, uh, you know, mm. retrospectively kind of looking at it. Do you, if you have, you know, five ideas for a course, do you look at it and say, okay, there would be a lot of people interested in this one. Um, so I'll go with that one versus this one. Maybe there are fewer people interested in this more niche topic. Do you have any kind of, do you put it through any kind of filter like that? Um, not exactly. Uh, I, I kind of, I think at, at some point you develop enough of a, a following, if you want to call it that, um, where people will watch it or, or will consume that material just because you created it. Um, and, and they trust you as the creator um, to, you know, uh, to give them something that they will find useful. Um, and I, I've observed this happening uh, quite often. I have plenty of people who follow me who are not React developers um, because they, they see the stuff that I produce. They know that it's quality and they, uh, even though they aren't going to necessarily use it at their work, they enjoy consuming the material that I create for one reason or another. Um, now, I wouldn't say, like, if this is your very first ever course, I wouldn't say that doing something niche is a really great approach um, because you don't have that following yet of people who trust you and your content. And so like for me, the, the very first thing uh, that I created that I was paid for was an egghead course um, about using AngularJS with uh, JWTs or JOTs. Um, and that actually went super well because like what application does not need authentication and more and more applications are using jots and so it it was a really practical thing that people actually needed and um through that that gave me credibility and i made several other courses let's talk about webpack let's talk about angular some more angular js stuff and um and then eventually i got to the point where i was like you know what um, I really want to teach people how to write open source libraries. I've been doing this a lot and I think it's really cool. Uh, there are, you know, there are plenty of people contributing and making open source libraries themselves, but uh, like just such a fraction of the number of people who want to learn, you know, how to write JavaScript or whatever. Um, but it was something that I believed in and something I wanted more people to do. And so I, I created it as a, kind of an, an enabler. Uh, and I did the same thing on the reverse, how to contribute to an open source project um, on GitHub um, and made those courses. They did not do as well, but they did well because people trusted me and trusted my content enough to give, um, give me some time to teach them how to do that. And uh, I think part of it has to do with uh, the um, commitment that I'm asking for um, from people. Uh, I'm not saying, hey, come watch me teach you how to create an open source library in you know a three-day course. It's like an hour long. Um, and so that may have something to do with it as well. Uh, I, and I've also got a uh, course on uh, front-end masters about how to write custom ESLint plugins and custom Babel plugins. That's an even smaller number of people, uh, but they still still do pretty well because uh, I have enough people who follow me who are like, you know, I wouldn't normally watch something like this, but because it's Kent, I'm going to because, you know, he makes stuff that makes me a better software engineer. So there, there's pieces of it. Like uh, if, this, if this is your first course, you haven't really built much of a following or anything, I absolutely would and and you want to like at, at some point it's just like i want to create this this course on this niche thing and that's fine if that's what you want to do but if your goal is to reach as many people as possible and and to build a following um then probably start with something that is already a, a pretty hot topic um for people or uh 
another thing to consider is uh, topics that are uh, not well served in the uh, content community right now. So uh, testing is a good example of that. Um, when I created testingjavascript.com, there still is nothing like it um, on the internet. Um, and so I attribute a lot of its success, aside from my the following that I already have, um, a lot of the success is just because there's literally like nothing else um, that people, so anytime somebody says, I need to go learn about unit testing in JavaScript, like what else do you say? The only place that you can really go to, to learn that uh, from a really good solid foundation is from testingjavascript.com. Um, so like that's another thing, if it's um, something that's just not really well served or, or even if there are existing courses, but you don't think that they are uh, serving the uh, community in the way that ne they need to, then mm -hmm. go ahead and make your own thing. Um, so anyway, mm -hmm. that's a lot of words. I, I can be long-winded. <laughs> no, that's great. It, it's, it has uh, given me many, many follow-up question that I would love to ask. Um, so I'll circle back to a few things. One that comes to mind right now, though, is, you know, you say testingjavascript.com. <clears throat> that's kind of like, that has become the definitive resource if you want to learn about unit testing in JavaScript or, or many kinds of testing. Um, but what is it, you do you think that, that makes it such because arguably there are other there's other information on the web about testing right like whether mm -hmm. it's some youtube tutorials whether it's something on you know somewhere like udemy or or something like that uh but what what are the ingredients do you think that makes the resource you've created sort of the definitive one is it the is it the clout that you've got as you know someone in the industry is it uh is it the quality that goes into the course that you've created is it a mix of things what do you think i i think it's definitely a mix of things but um one thing that people underestimate the value of especially as a content creator is um like almost all of the content that i have uh, created that people pay for is available in some form for free from me. Um, so like I have a silly amount of free content on YouTube that are like basically some version of some of my testing content. All of my content uh, material is on GitHub as public and open source. Um, so and, and the way that I do workshops now are it's super self-driven. So you could go through this whole thing yourself and get almost as much value as attending one of my remote workshops or something. You just wouldn't be able to ask me uh, questions as you go and stuff, uh, which actually is, is pretty valuable. But um, but like so much of the knowledge that I have to offer is available for free. Um, and that is intentional um, because I want, like the people who pay me are the people who enable me to reach more people, right? So there are some people in, uh, you know, Africa or wherever in the world who cannot afford to pay me for these courses. And, and I do have uh, purchase power parity. So it's lower prices, like significant discounts for other places. But um, still, it uh, I want to be able to to lift up those people who are in situations where they can't afford that stuff. And so that's um, the, the people who pay me enable me to do that for those people. Um, but all of that said, um, you, you need to understand that people will pay you um, like real dollars because you give them a curated experience um, because people are just inherently lazy and they want to be told exactly what to do, where to go. And so um, the reason I think that testing JavaScript has been so successful is because it 
it gives you a like from a total beginner to a super advanced uh, guide for uh, be, you know learning how to test JavaScript. And so I, I think that is something that content creators can um, can do a lot of. Uh, this is why newsletters are so popular, uh, where it's just a list of links like, okay, but there are hundreds of thousands of people subscribed to these things. And you can make tons of money just by curating this, this content. You don't even have to create the content. You just curate it. Um, and, uh, you know, you just take advantage of the fact that people are lazy. And, and that sounds bad when I say it that way, but it's, you're, you're not taking advantage of it. You're giving them actual value by curating this content so they don't have to go and, and uh, curate it yourself. Um, so anyway, I, I think part of the reason testing JavaScript was so successful isn't because it has some exclusive content, which it does, but because it, um, it gives people a curated way to go from, I know nothing about testing to I'm an expert at testing all right. in one place. That's cool. Yeah. It's giving people a path. It's being very prescriptive in, in how the content is delivered, which I think is, I mean, ultimately that's, that's a time saver for people, which I think yeah. whether they, whether they're maybe conscious of it or not, people ultimately want that, right? They don't want to have to scrape together resources to accumulate some hodgepodge of knowledge uh, mm -hmm. over the course of time. They'd rather have, whether they know it or not, they'd rather have a path to, to get to where they need to be. Um, yeah. And you know, I, I would argue that this is one of the reasons why uh, Vue has caught up uh, so much popularity um, in like when compared to React, uh, because React is very much like, we won't tell you what to do. We'll just tell you the like you look at the react docs and it's like they're here are the very very fundamentals but we don't even have a page to teach you how to how to do routing in your app like or or state you know application state management like we don't have opinions on that stuff whereas Vue is like we're gonna not only give you a page on that we're gonna give you a whole website and a whole open source library that literally everybody in the community is using and um now we, we could argue um, the merits of each of the frameworks technically, but um, I would definitely say that a huge reason that Vue has had so much success is because it gives people that path. Right. And React doesn't have that. It'd be great if it did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, similar things I think we see in the Angular community. Um, Angular is very prescriptive. I, uh, you know, we can argue whether or not Angular is is super used or well loved, and the stats you know might tell you different things depending on who you are looking at stats. But uh, the mm -hmm. you know I think the truth of it is Angular is very popular, especially in the enterprise domain. Uh, mm -hmm. And and I think enterprise companies choose it largely because of its pr prescriptiveness, you know, so that yes. everyone's code looks the same working in the company kind of thing. Um, mm -hmm. I'd love to circle back to your thoughts on building an audience, but first maybe where I'd like to go is you mentioned a couple of times, um, we've, we've talked about Egghead and, and so you're, you're big on Egghead. You've got a lot of courses there. If I'm correct and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but, uh, testing JavaScript is a kind of an Egghead collaboration. Is that, yeah. is that okay? Yeah. So what's, when you when you're thinking about putting out courses, um, how do you make the decision as to whether to collaborate with somebody like Egghead for you know testing JavaScript, for example, versus self-publishing? Um, you know, we're assuming here that Egghead's probably taking a cut; they're probably giving you traffic and, and they're, they're they're driving traffic to your your course. But um, do you how do you how do you kind of think about that? You know, Egghead versus self-publishing, and is there anything in between? I guess. Yeah. Um, so Egghead, what Egghead offers me, um, it, and they are taking a cut, um, but what Egghead offers me is uh, they build the platform and 
and um, they manage, uh, they maintain that platform, um, and they uh, take care of support. And I cannot um, overstate the value <laughs> of that. Um, I am able to create so much more content because Egghead is managing those things for me. Um, so I don't have to worry about uh, those things. So um, early on, uh, I saw like West Boss doing his thing and, and I have some other friends who are doing their own content stuff and building their own platforms. And I thought, you know, it would be cool to get 100% of the money that I get you know, and give a chunk of that to the government. <laughs> um, but um, as cool as that is, um, I won't be able to, to reach as many people if I do that. Um, and the reason for that is I won't be able to create as much content. So I can't make the world as good of a place as I want it to be if I just do this on my own. So it, it comes back to that purpose that I have of making the world a better place. And I can't do that as effectively if I'm working by myself. And uh, so uh, you know, as long as the numbers add up where I'm able to take care of my family, then the next priority is my purpose for doing this in the first place. Um, and so um, that's that's kind of the like where it comes down to. And like, it's really nice to not have to wake up every morning to 50 support emails or whatever. Not, not that we get that many. Um, Egghead has done a pretty good job on the platform, but like, you know, if I if I took the break on emails for supporting testing JavaScript um, that I did on uh, just everything for Christmas holidays, then yeah, it would have been a lot, and I wouldn't have wanted to come back to work ever. So, um, so yeah, it helps a lot. Um, and that that's like it's a personal decision. I like I said, I have friends who are doing their own thing, and and West Boss has obviously been super successful uh, doing his own thing. Um, and, and there's part of me that wishes that I built the platform because it would give me more of a product to work on and experiment with things on. And I don't have that right now. So I, I have to supplement that, um, on my own, but at, at the same time, um, when it's really like crunch time on course content and stuff, I'm not like dealing with the weight of you know support requests and taking people's money giving their money back um, if they need a refund or whatever um i could just off that load all of that um yeah so that's kind of the decision process for me that's cool yeah i mean and, and perhaps if you hadn't gone with egghead you'd have some kind of like support team maybe some virtual assistants that would help you with that kind of thing but i i would imagine that having that support integrated with you know the the platform company that is centered around uh, teaching developers having those two things integrated into one just makes the whole experience that much easier, right? You're not right. writing you're not writing manuals for your virtual assistants to uh, to use to be able to answer questions, etc. You've got exactly and built and in. I don't have to like field questions from them either. Like right. I, I do look at the support emails. And um, the, you know, we have, Egghead does has, have uh, virtual assistants and stuff and, and they are regularly asking questions like, is this a bug or is this like designed this way or whatever? And I don't have to answer those questions. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, just like off it, it's, and it's not just the amount of time, but it's the cognitive load as well. Sure. Um, so I don't have to think about it. Um, I just say, hey, Egghead, and, and I don't even worry about collecting the money or anything. They pay me and um, I, uh, it's just a really nice and easy, let me just focus on making content, making the world a better place by teaching people how to make quality software. Yeah, 
That's really cool. Um, so let's talk about audience building. Um, you are quite prolific on Twitter. Uh, big audience there. Um, you know that 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 gets and and your blog as well. That kind of stuff gets seen in the uh, like the state of JS survey that we just saw, where I think your blog had topped the charts in terms of uh, where where developers go for for learning. Um, what are the elements that you have found to be good for building an audience? I think that's what a lot of people are interested in doing. They'd love to, uh, you know, to, to grab some followers, to be able to promote their their things, hawk their wares. What's the, uh, what are some of the tools, or maybe, I guess, tools, but also some of, just some of the things you've found to be good in terms of building an audience over the course of time? Yeah, um, so when I started building an audience, I didn't know that's what I was doing. Um, it was kind of a, you know, I I tweeted stuff that people thought were interesting. There was never a like a single tweet that got me my whole audience. I know that the, some people um, have that fortune and they get like 30,000 followers overnight or something. That's never happened to me. Um, and I actually have some friends who um, paid for a like their account to get uh, to follow a hundred thousand accounts or whatever and then they got a lot of refollows and once you hit a certain point people just kind of follow you out of obligation because you're like wow you have a lot of followers you must have a good reason to um yeah i never did anything like that um and i, I yeah i actually try to keep m the number of people i follow uh, relatively low but um so like i think a lot of it has to do with just being genuine and like I'm genuinely trying to help people um, to like level up in their career. Um, and I, I've actually found recently that people follow me because they discover my content that I've created on other platforms. Um, but lots of them are not following me on Twitter for more of that content on Twitter. They're actually just following me to keep up with what I'm doing in my life. Uh, and lots of them want like, you know, personal, um, you know, the you know just the personal things and and random thoughts that i have throughout the day which has actually been a little surprising to me some of them uh do get angry at me if i start posting too much about andrew yang and and political stuff but but uh, i don't care about those people <laughs> I, okay let me rephrase that i do care about the people but i don't care about those opinions um but uh yeah so uh anyway at, at first it was just kind of like i'm just tweeting random things um and then it, over time, I started to realize that actually this is a, a really valuable asset. Like if I were to lose my job and need a job, I just tweet, I need a job and I would get like a ton of visibility. So it became a um, like a job security or like, you know, something that was actually um, important uh, for my success. So, um, yeah, then you start doing stuff like... Um, I, I don't know. I think people can tell when you try too hard um, to uh, to create stuff. And, and you're like, uh, I definitely have gotten DMs from people asking me to retweet their stuff or to, um, you know, or like, oh my goodness, sometimes you'll get a reply spam where people will reply to their tweet and CC like 30 people. Don't do stuff like that. Like that's super um, bad form. Like asking for a retweet that... Um, for select things that might be appropriate um but don't ask me to retweet your um redux you know library or whatever like i don't care about redux um so or, or don't ask me for feedback on stuff that that is not really relevant to me specifically um so like just kind of be genuine uh give people a reason to follow you so 
um, create really good content um, and be consistent. That's one thing that I think a lot of people don't do very well is they're inconsistent. Like if you want to start a blog, then that's great. And uh, if you, but if you want to start a uh, blog that has a following, start a tribe of committed people to your content, then you've got to be consistent. Um, otherwise, people will say, oh yeah, there was that Medium blog post I saw the other day. They don't know it was you, right? And that's another thing is is to own your platform. So uh, as cool as Twitter is, I don't really care, or, or I am concerned about Twitter and the algorithm and YouTube as well. And like Facebook, all these uh, platforms, they are not... Um, uh, they do not have my best interest in mind. Um, they don't have any of our best interests. In fact, they are researching ways to make us more addicted to the platform. So they, they do not have our best interests in mind. Um, and so for that reason, I about two years ago, two and a half years ago now, I started a mailing list um, because I wanted to have more ownership over um, my tribe. And there's actually this book uh, called Tribes that I, I recommend people uh, give a read to. That's a good book. Um, but I, I wanted to have a group of people who are committed to me and, and my message and my content um, that I could reach when I needed to. Um, when I tweet, I have over 80,000 followers, like 85,000 now. And um, each one of my tweets does not get seen by 85,000 people. Um, but when I, uh, like it, it gets seen by a, a fraction of that, like an eighth um, sometimes. So, uh, and sometimes it gets seen by a ton of people because it gets retweeted and whatever. Um, but yeah, just it typically doesn't get seen by as many people. But when I send an email, I still have like over 50% open rate. Um, and so a huge amount of the people who are on my mailing list are opening. And in fact, um, if I have somebody who hasn't opened an email um, in 90 days, then I send them an email and say, Hey, I'm going to unsubscribe you in a week. I don't want to just send you a bunch of spam. And, uh, and so like, I want to keep a, uh, collection of people who are really committed to me and my message. And I don't care quite as much how big that following is just, I'm more interested in how committed they are and, and how much value I'm providing to them. Um, now that, as I say that, it kind of seems at odds to my goal of, of helping more people make quality software and reaching as many people as I can. Um, but it doesn't matter how wide your reach is if your impact is like zero, right? And so um, it's more important to me to have a large impact on, on a, as large as I can, can have, but I want to have a large impact on a group of people. And so um, anyway, owning your platform is big. Like don't post blogs. If you want to have a committed group of followers, get off of Medium um, right now um, because that is not your platform. They absolutely don't have your best interest. Dev.2 is pretty cool, um, but it's still like when people go to their coworkers and say, hey, I read a cool blog on Dev.2 the other day. They don't say your name. They say Dev.2. Um, I read a cool blog post on Medium. No, it's it's you that you you wrote it. And so um, that's why I moved my blog from Medium to kentcdots.com. And in fact, I never would have gone to Medium um, if I couldn't use my own domain name. So at the time that I, I started on blogging on Medium, they still allowed you to have a custom domain name. And that's what I did. Um, if they didn't allow that, I never would have done it uh, because now I can just redirect all those those URLs, um, which worked out really nicely. Um, but uh, yeah, so own your platform, um, be really genuine, 
um, give people a reason to follow you, like create content that they will find interesting, especially early on, um, like posting pictures of your cats and dogs and whatever. Um, that's, that's kind of fun. Um, but when, especially when it's early on, people are not, um, when, when people are still trying you out, um, and they're not sure that they want to, uh, stay connected with you at that level, then, um, maybe don't, uh, post those kinds of things. Um, I can probably post those kinds of things occasionally now and, and not really be hurt by that because people are just so used to, uh, the, the kind of content that they're here for. And, um, and so that, that would work out fine for me. But, um, mm. anyway, hopefully some of that is sort of semi-helpful. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, that's great. I, I had Eric Elliott on the show sometime back and he, he's on the, uh, other side of the medium debate that you are. He says medium is the place to be because of its sort of social network nature, its ability to recommend content to readers. Um, in his experience, he's seen so much more of an uptick in uh, traffic to his articles versus uh, if he were at his own domain. Uh, is that something you've considered at all? Uh, did you kind of think about that trade-off? Is it a trade-off in your mind or how do you think yeah, about it, that? Yeah, it absolutely is a trade-off. Um, so you, <laughs> when you move to your own platform, you have fewer um, uh, drive-by traffic people and, um, um, but you have like the people who do drive by your traffic will remember that it was on your blog. Um, and so it's, it's, what do you, what do you want? So, um, Eric doesn't, um, like, I, I honestly haven't seen much of what Eric has been up to in the last couple of years. I'm not sure if he's slowed down or, or what it is, but, um, when, when people see his blog posts, it's not a blog post by Eric. It's a blog post on medium. And, uh, and yes, there are like things um, at the bottom. You scroll down and it's like, this is also recommended. Um, but I don't feel like I need that. Um, I, and uh, aside from that, it's so important to me that when people read my content, they know it's my content that I don't, I don't really care. Um, uh, and I'd much rather, you know, not be competing for people's eyeballs uh, on a platform that's not controlled by myself. Um, so I just, you know, do pretty good at, well, and actually I, I was just going to say, I do pretty good at SEO, um, on, uh, for Google searches and stuff, but I actually don't even try. Um, it, it ends up being organically successful. Like I, I haven't tried, but I'm just going to Google, um, application, estate management, react, and I can guarantee you, I, yeah, I'm the first one there. Um, and so it's, uh, like it becomes like if that were directing you to a medium post then you're not building an audience for yourself you're building an audience for medium yeah. and so if if it just kind of depends on what you're going for um, sure. but i want to build my own audience um, i want to own the content yeah i suppose you could probably say that it's if you're doing it if you're building your own platform so your own domain your own site you've got to be in it for the long haul whereas if you want some flash yeah. traffic maybe medium's the place to be um yeah you know it's, I, it's I definitely agree with that. yeah it's something i've been considering recently too because i've got some articles on medium they that have done well in the angular world and and have been sort of instrumental in some success that i've had with uh, some of my content and, and especially some of my paid content um and that has been a lot of traffic through Medium. But I'm also, I'm, I'm starting to think about uh, having this maybe longer horizon view where, you know, Medium's gonna go away at some point, if not um, off the internet, maybe out of relevance, right? Um, so mm -hmm. 
there's probably I, I think I'm with you like philosophically with uh, having your own platform because it's you know the longevity aspect there if you want want it to be there is is much more much more doable I think um, right and and how did you reach out to the hundreds of thousands of people who read your post right there's right. no way for you to reach reach out to them but when it's on your own platform uh, and they're getting the email from you then uh, yeah you just send them an email yeah so. yeah absolutely um what uh what do you think is a good way for folks to get into um creating and selling developer education products um you know you've you've done this a lot there's a lot of folks out there that have uh produced good quality content been able to be very successful at it uh some less successful what's a what's a good way to get started in that domain i think so actually egghead has a, a really great um site called howtoegghead.com um, that can give you a lot of really good tips for uh, from a uh, like a screencast perspective. Uh, so if you wanted to do recorded videos, then that that could be a really valuable resource. Um, but as far as like to, starting with content, the, I can just tell you the way I started was um, I just started teaching people. I like I would uh, for me it was at school because that was what I was doing at the time. I'd just have people over and do a workshop. Uh, and in fact, um, I had a group for my classes. We were on a team and uh, we would just teach each other um, every uh, couple of days, just teach each other something. Um, and that went great. Um, so if you have a team at work or somewhere where you can teach each other stuff, have like brown bags at, at lunch or whatever, um, those kinds of things, um, try to, you know, you keep it low key, whatever. Um, but uh, yeah, I and then I started talking at meetups and conferences. And um, what what I did was I just put myself into these potentially uncomfortable situations where I'm committing myself to do this thing that I'm not sure I can do <laughs> right now. Um, and, well, I, I know that it's possible, but I don't have that content prepared or whatever. And I force myself to prepare it. Um, and that works out super great. Um, and so as, as long as you know that what you want to teach is possible, then um, then just volunteer to, to make it happen. And it, it has to. <laughs> so you, you make it happen. Um, and then like so meetups and, and conferences and then, you know, you start doing workshops um, and, you know, and and everybody does things differently. Like if you're not the type of person who wants to speak in front of a room of a hundred people or whatever, then uh, maybe a meetup isn't the, the right place for you to create content, or maybe you can deal with that part of you that is, uh, has that fear. Um, but uh, there's also um, like blog posts and podcasts and, you know, lots of this stuff is like there's a, a lot of the inner voice that people say like, Oh, well there are like 7 million blog posts about, you know, the, this keyword in JavaScript, um, I'm not going to be able to add anything to that. And what I say to that is like, why do you think there are so many blog posts about it? Like, do you think that we just decided as a community that there's only one, um, blog post that could be written about this particular subject? Obviously not. Um, and so what's one more? Um, but, uh, like there's actually a reason and you know what, there's a, there's a street corner in Texas somewhere that that has three Starbucks on a on a single corner. Um, yeah, one of them is in a Barnes and Noble. So, yeah, but um, but yeah, three Starbucks. And, and then you always see like a Burger King right next to a McDonald's on the street or whatever. 
there's a reason that that they do this and the reason is that there's business enough for it you know they didn't just build that building because they thought it looked cool or they were like oh we're gonna put three starbucks on this corner no it's it's um because people will go um and so it doesn't matter how many people have already written the content that you're trying to create or whatever it is um people will consume it uh, and people consume my content because they like the way that I produce content. Some people don't consume my content because they don't like the way I produce it. And that's fine because it's not, it, it really, um, technically it's a zero sum game because there's only so much time people can dedicate to learning and looking at different content. But there's the, the pie is just so big that like there can, you can produce so much content and, and reach people, um, and uh, and you can reach people in a way that I can't. Um, so, especially if you speak in a, a different language, like produce content in your own language. My goodness, um, I can't speak anything but English. So, um, yeah, there is a huge um, opportunity for people to to produce content. So, um, I know that like this answer kind of sounds like just do it, but that's kind of the answer um, is just try something you'll not do a good job at first and that's fine uh, or maybe you will like you could be a prodigy but um you like be okay with failure and um and you know take some time to reflect on how you did and, and how you can improve for next time uh, but a lot of it comes down to consistency you just have to keep doing it um and mm. and eventually you'll nail it and um It'll be great. <laughs> <laughs> but getting started is the, the most important part, I think. Uh, it reminds yeah, me of like, step. right. If I'm feeling kind of blocked uh, when it comes to writing an article or something, the trick that I have found useful now is to just like start writing anything at all related to the topic. Just put those mm -hmm. words down on the page. I guarantee you I'm going to delete them after I get uh, a little bit further along. But just having some words on the page helps me to, to just, you know, roll along and, and actually get the article written. So getting I totally, started. yeah, that Ryan, that is, um, I can relate to that approach too, actually. So I'm a, a amateur or hobbyist fantasy author okay. and, um, writer's block is something that people talk about sometimes. And, and when you hit that wall where you're like, uh, I got this character in a situation and I don't know how they're going to get out of it or something like that, then, um, you don't stop writing. You just keep writing, right. um, the thoughts that you're having. So like you literally jump out of your normal like um, story and you just start saying, I'm having this trouble because they are in this situation. They can't get out of it. They yep. can't do this. They can't do that. And then eventually you'll type something. You're like, wait, oh, I think yeah. they could do that. And, th and then it comes together. You delete all the bad stuff. And, and uh, yeah, because you can't get you can't make your um, what you've written or what you've created good until you've made it bad. Like you mm -hmm. have to make it first before you can iterate on something better. So don't let perfectionism stop you from doing something at all. For sure. That's cool that you're a fantasy author. Uh, where can people check that out? Um, I have a Twitter account for it. It's Kent underscore writes. And um, yeah, so I cool. I mean, like I said, it's kind of hobbyist. I did a, a national novel writing month last year or two years ago now, uh, 2018. Um, and uh, I tried last uh, in 2019, failed at that. Um, <laughs> I didn't, didn't get it, but 
um, yeah, it's a lot of fun. That's great. <laughs> that's that's uh, it, it's really cool too that th there's something you've got that's outside of the programming world that that you're passionate about like that. I think a lot of us are really sort of tunnel vision in on on programming for both our jobs and our evening passion uh, weekend time. You know, so having something outside of that is is great. Yeah, um, that was absolutely me <laughs> until yeah. I started this. <laughs> I'd love to talk about uh, your, so, so I, I think you're, you're kind of known as being a guy who is super, super productive. Uh, I think I've seen, I've, I've seen comments about that uh, around Twitter before is like, how does, how does this guy get so much stuff done? How does, how does he create so much content? It seems like he's putting something out every day. Um, you know, how, how does he have time for all this? Um, I'd love to, to chat about that along with um, maybe the process of you going from full-time employed uh, into being full-time uh, self-employed and how you how that productivity um, aspect of, of what you do has changed, if at all. Um, particularly like when you were at your job, I think you were at PayPal, if I'm not mistaken, just mm -hmm. before you, you went out on your own. Um, especially then how did you have the time to be so productive and create so much stuff at that point and and is is it e any easier now have you changed anything in in the way that you produce content yeah that's a great question i do get that question a lot um and i get it so much that i actually wrote a blog post about it um, okay about two years ago uh, when i was still at paypal uh, it's titled how i am so productive um but uh yeah basically like the the first thing that i want to say is that it it's kind of an illusion. Um, I'm not as productive as th people seem to think that I am. Um, and part of the reason, especially when I was at PayPal, part of the reason it was an illusion is because um, people would look at the amount of stuff that I produce and they'd be like, he's doing all of that and he has a full-time job. Um, when like lots of the stuff that I did, I did on the clock um, and I just made it public. So uh, take this scenario. You go to your boss one day and you say, hey boss, I learned this really cool thing last week. Do you mind if I take uh, two hours on Monday and write about it and then share that with the team? And your boss is going to be like, yes, please do. That's like free training. We love it. Like we should be sharing stuff. You know, any any boss who says no to that is, um, I don't know, you need to have a follow-up conversation. Um, and so that's basically what I did. I didn't actually have that conversation, but that's basically what I did. Um is I'd say, I learned this thing. I'm going to write about it for two hours on a Monday or, or sometimes one hour. I, I just like, after a while of writing blog posts, you get really fast at, the, uh, at this stuff. Um, but uh, yeah, I'll just write about it and then I'll, I'll share it with my employees. And oh, guess what? There's no like um, IP specific to PayPal in this blog post. I guess I'll just post it to the internet. Um, and it makes it easier to share with my coworkers anyway. So um, like at the time I was doing my daily live streams with dev tips with Kent, um, and I was doing my AMA and lots, just lots of content stuff, but I did it on the clock because PayPal, um, really benefited from those things. Like, uh, PayPal has hundreds of engineers, uh, JavaScript engineers. And so I would just you know, say, Hey, I wrote this thing. Here is this thing. And like, I would share my blog posts and code reviews and stuff. And, um, and like, PayPal really appreciated that. And so it was basically part of my, my work. So anyway, that's the first thing to recognize is that it's an illusion. Um, it, I wasn't as productive as people think that I am. Um, and uh, the other, and often like even my private 
stuff that I would uh, develop for PayPal, I would write about that. And so people would see that and be like, oh my goodness, he's doing so much stuff. But no, you're literally seeing everything that I'm doing in my life. <laughs> and so it's not as much as you think. Um, but uh, another piece of all of this that I really should probably call out even first is the amount of privilege that I have in my life is astounding. Um, like I, uh, I don't, I, I'm a male heterosexual, I'm white, so I don't have to worry about um, proving myself to racist or to sexist people or, you know, I, I don't have to spend my time uh, dealing with those kinds of weird relationships um, that uh, people seem to, uh, to create, which is ridiculous. But um, so um, there's, there's that amount of privilege. I'm also married. And so my wife takes care of the kids and a lot of the home things, you know, I'm, I'm doing dishes and laundry and stuff too, but um, she, she does a lot of that stuff for me. Um, and so, so that I can focus more on my work. And, and when I was doing my content creation on the side, uh, as well. Uh, and, and like, I can leave the, the house for uh, a weekend or something for, or for a couple of days to go to a conference and stuff. And my wife can take care of the kids. So there's, there's that aspect to it as well. Um, but uh, yeah, so I, I do get a lot of uh, stuff done, but I, I'm also um, ensuring that the stuff that I do has a huge impact. And so like, yeah, maybe you and I are doing the same amount of stuff, but um, the stuff that I'm doing has a, a broader reach. It reaches more people uh, because I'm uh, because of the way that I'm doing it. Um, and so maybe uh, you're having a conversation with your coworker about different Git strategies, but I'm having that same conversation with somebody over YouTube on a live stream, and all of a sudden I've created content, and you just had a great conversation. We both got the same value created in our lives, but I've been able to increase the impact of that value by making it public. Um, so that learn in public idea um, is, has been part of what I do for a really long time. Um, also automation, I, I don't like doing things that um, a computer can do better. And so like I, I do maintain over 100 packages on NPM, but most of those have automated releases. And so I don't have to spend time doing mindless work. Um, so that has helped a lot. Um, enabling others helps me free up more of my time. Uh, and so like in my open source projects and, and that kind of stuff, I, um, instead of just an answering everybody's questions myself, I just kind of lay back a little bit and let the community kind of help maintain that as well. Um, and, uh, yeah, another thing is I, uh, like, I'm pretty responsive on Twitter, but that's mostly because all I have to do to answer somebody's question is share a link to a blog post or uh, a link to my AMA on GitHub that I've, I've already answered their question. And so, um, yes, I'm able to respond to a lot of people, but that's because I don't have to spend any time or very much time at all, um, like giving them a quality response because I've already written a blog post about it or something. Um, and so, yeah, those are a couple of the, the hacks. Um, that uh, that I have there I guess there's another thing that I, I could say and that's um, this hyper focus um, that I, I can get into where um, I just when I decide I'm gonna do something I pretty much can't do anything until that's done hmm. um, and so like that sometimes can backfire a little is bit. That, um, I'm but. curious if that's something that has always been intrinsic to you or is that something you've cultivated somehow over time uh, or has it changed um, so I wouldn't say that it, uh, I, I want to, um, 
avoid saying that this is just the way that I am and nobody could, you know, learn to be this way. Uh, I have, I do feel like I've been this way for a, a really long time. I believe that I, I developed this when I was homeschooled for one year in fifth grade. Uh, my mom homeschooled me and two of my other siblings. And during that time, she w would write down, like the night before, she'd write down on a notepad all of our assignments, the things we needed to get done. Um, and I would wake up at five in the morning and get it all done by nine. And so then I'd have the whole day to do whatever I wanted. Um, and that's that was my entire fifth grade year. Um, I just did it that way. And so when I have like a list of things that I that need to get done, I will just churn through those things. Um, now we have Twitter and that kind of distracts me from getting some of that <laughs> from, from that sometimes. But um, but yeah, so it, it's kind of the way that I've been for a long time. But I absolutely feel like if that's um, a skill that you want to develop, I think it's a skill that can be developed um, with, a, with a lot of effort. Um, but uh, yeah, so that, that kind of helps me too, where I can sometimes get just really focused on making something... Um, and something valuable and, and another thing is like i spend more of my time producing content than consuming other people's content like i don't i don't read many blog posts um and i i haven't read a book in a really long time uh, if i do um consume a book it's through audio yeah. and i listen at like 3x speeds um which is something you do 3x you can your, i can't do 3x yeah. i can do like uh, everybody one, can do 3x yeah so that's another thing that i guess you could consider productive uh, a productivity hack is um i you know i started at 1.25 uh for a couple of weeks and then one one five and one seven five and just over the course of uh, um, a few months like your brain can do that like people who can't see um will um you know they use screen readers and stuff they can listen at like six x um because our, our brains are capable and and i think there's some science that suggests that the parts of their brain that are dedicated to sight actually are remapped to dedicate to listening but um i mean i don't our, our brains are really powerful and i don't see any reason why you can't remap that now when i'm listening at 3x all i can do is is wash the dishes and drive and i cannot do anything else like, i i can weed in the garden like i can't do anything that takes any cognitive effort or i will not catch anything but um but yeah it, so like uh, I don't really, I don't spend a whole lot of time consuming. And when I do, I optimize it as much as I can. Um, so I spend most of my time producing and you learn so much. So like, if you're like, oh, but how would I ever learn how to write a React app without following through this 20 page tutorial? Well, how about you just try it and, and see what happens and like create content as you go. Uh, and that's, that's the approach that I take. I, uh, my, my decade in review is 12,000 words. I would never read a blog post that long. Never, ever, ever. Um, so like Dan Abramoff wrote uh, uh, one as well that was uh, pretty long and I did not read his, uh, as interested as I am in, in him as a person. Um, so yeah, it's just kind of where you you dedicate your time. I, I don't play video games or anything like that. Maybe I'm out of balance, but um, yeah. I, I spend time with my family and I create content. <laughs> That's what there I do. There you go. That's a good mix. Um, well, I definitely want to be respectful of your time here, and, and maybe it's a good uh, point to start wrapping up. Uh, maybe one final question, your thoughts on this. G deciding whether or not it's time to leave your full-time job and focus on your own thing. Do you have any thoughts on that? And I'm curious about sort of the decision uh, around that when you made it, whether it was a difficult decision or just it was like, hey, this is 
what makes sense at this time? Uh, did you have any anxieties about it? Because I think a lot of people are curious about doing something like that. They want to go from their full-time developer job to their their own self-employed situation, but uh, perhaps don't really know what the best time is to do so, uh, when it's right, etc. So what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I remember a few years ago, I, I had just this thought, like, I I think I could actually do this egghead thing full time. Um, you know, I, I was paying my mortgage with egghead. Um, and so I was, you know, and this isn't like California mortgage. This is Utah mortgage. It's right. like a thousand bucks. Um, but, uh, yeah, still it was, it was a significant amount of money. Um, and I thought, you know, like if I can do that on the side, then I just dedicate my full time to creating courses on egghead and I could probably pay for everything that I need. Um, and so that, that idea just kind of percolated it for a while. Um, and then it didn't really start to become real until August of 2018 when um, I just had this idea, uh, as much as I enjoy working at PayPal, and I did, I was working on some of the coolest stuff. Um, I really enjoyed my job. They gave me so much autonomy to do stuff I wanted. Um, they're an awesome company to work for, highly recommended. Um, but I just thought, you know, I really like making this content and I want to be able to choose what content I can make. Um, and I want to, I, I don't want to, you know, I want to cut down on travel. I was traveling to PayPal every quarter. Um, and I wanted to um, have more freedom to just say, you know what, I'm not going to work in December. Uh, and I'm just going to spend that month with my family. And um, so it, it kind of became this, I think that I can manage um, on my own financially, and that will give me more freedom. And I can, uh, accomplish my goal of making the world a better place uh, that way. Like I can, I can still help PayPal engineers learn by creating content that they can consume. Um, and so um, PayPal's not, I, I mean, they were not happy to see me go, but they're not so much worse off because they can still consume my content, which is cool. Um, so yeah, like the decision for me, my, my wife and I are both really risk averse. Uh, she's probably more risk averse than I am, but I, I'm not really much of a risky person, especially since I have four kids that are uh, pretty young and, and my wife to take care of, uh, my wife doesn't work. Um, I mean, let me phrase that again. My wife is a full-time mom, so that means she never stops working. Um, <laughs> but, uh, um, she, she is not gainfully employed making money. Um, and so like, it comes down to me to, to make money. So, the decision to go full-time on my own was not an easy one, but it worked out really well because um, we were able to uh, be confident that our finances were secure, especially when the uh, testing JavaScript was launched. And I realized what a, like, a huge opportunity that was um, because there was nothing else like it and it, it had a huge amount of success. And so when I got that, I said, you know, I, this replaces my salary and I don't need to have a salary now. And I can focus on, um, having the freedom that I want and the, um, yeah, like being able to cr create the content that I want, uh, take the time off that I want, whatever. Um, uh, and it w was not easy. Like I, now I have to pay through the nose for health insurance, which is like a huge pain. Um, but we are able to make it happen because, I've developed a following of people who trust me and my content enough to give me money um, so that I can support my family. Uh, so it's been really awesome. There hasn't really been a whole lot of worry. Like 
I, I probably could have done this a longer time ago and uh, things would have worked out really well, but I would have been stressed out about things. Um, but I waited long enough and we were financially secure enough at the time that we made that separation um, that we haven't had any financial concerns. Um, and I've been able to continue to churn out content, updating testingjavascript.com uh, last year, uh, doing a relaunch and everything. And, and so that's given me enough of a runway that um, if I did decide, you know what, like I don't have enough of a runway to feel comfortable, I'm going to get a real job um, and it, everything would work out uh, well. So it it definitely took like it was it was um, a little bit scary, but mostly really awesome. Um, and I have I, I'm able to, to do more of the stuff that I want to do um, and spend a lot more time with my family, which has worked out nice. That's really great. Really great. Well, it has been a pleasure talking to you today. Um, where can people find you online? Uh, what's your Twitter handle? Uh, Kent C. Dodds. And that's Kent pretty much me everywhere. Yep. I'm All right. pretty easy to find. <laughs> Wherever Kent is to be found, he is there at Kent C. Dodds. Awesome. Well, yeah, it's been it's been great talking to you. I really appreciate you coming on the show. And uh, hopefully I'll, I'll see you around. I'll be in Utah in April for NGConf. Not sure if you'll be able to stop by again, but uh, if you if you happen to, it'd be great to see you. Um, but if not, I will see you online. I'd love to crash NGConf again. It's been a while. <laughs> so <laughs> Excellent. All right. Well, thanks again, Kent. And we'll talk to you soon. Okay, see ya. Thank you again for listening today to the Entrepreneurial Coder Podcast. This has been episode 19 with Kent C. Dodds. You can find links to all the things that Kent was talking about at ecpodcast.io. If you would like to follow on Twitter, it's twitter.com slash coderpodcast. And if you are up for it, I would love if you could subscribe to the podcast and maybe drop in a review as well. You can find links for subscription details at ecpodcast.io slash subscribe. Once again, thank you so much for listening. And until next time, happy hacking.